Welcome to another Mostalgia, where we look back at a selected album which formed part of the soundtrack to our lives in younger days, growing up on the east coast of Ireland. This time we strap on our bullet belts and tight leather trousers, because it's Saxon with Crusader. Crusader, come on home, time for hot pot. Crusader was the follow-up to Power and the Glory, which was released in 1983. This one was released in February 1984. Apparently, it's their biggest selling album. The album itself was recorded at Sound City Studios in Van Nuys, California. It reached number 18 on the UK album charts and charted in the US Billboard albums at 174. It was produced by Kevin Beamish whose other notable works were REO Speedwagon's number one album, High Infidelity, where he also sang parts on the big hit, Keep On Loving You. Did he get a writing credit for that? Because I think he's mentioned on the Saxon Crusader album that he got a writing credit for that, Do It All For You. So anytime there's a ballad to be written, Mr. Beamish is there in the background warbling, and he puts his uh, writing credit on it so he can get some royalties out of it. That's it. And and you can see where this album is going, judging by Kevin Beamish had previously found success with Oreo Speedwagon. So Saxon are here looking for a more commercial sound. Yeah. In order to crack the United States. Crack her open. Kevin Beamish, if you've seen the Saxon documentary Heavy Metal Thunder and there's a bit in there when he's in the studio with Bife, Byford as he jokingly calls him, Kevin Beamish looks like an upturned loo brush. (laughs) Shaggy Aerosmith circa 1974 ahead. This is a winner. I look like a Dulux Shaggy dog and that's enough for me. Bife. Does this not happen to a lot of men though? They have a haircut and when they're kind of in their teens, into their early 20s, they're going to have a trendy haircut and then suddenly they just get stuck. Yeah, it's quite true. Look at us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we had long hair back in the late 1980s, of course, which is where a lot of this series is stuck. Saxon, this Crusader album, actually, we go a little bit further back to 1984 when it was released, right? But yeah. when we were nascent teenagers, we were just coming into the metal around 1997, 1988. And then we started growing down the hair. We're getting it long down the back. And we used to have yeah. little competitions to see how we could put the hair from the back of our necks into the corner of our mouths as a contest to yeah. see who's grown the hair long down the back. I started having the mullet late 88, maybe it was. To definitely 89. Yeah. Before eventually cutting off my lovely long luscious locks in 1994. And tell us, why did you cut off your luscious long locks? You're getting into I just the got ra- sick of it, Mick. <laughs> did you not get into the rave? It's just a hassle. You have the split ends, you wash your hair, then it takes an hour to dry, and then it, it kind of gets caught up in everything, and you, and you have to tie it up. And, uh. Can you imagine that if we were a few years earlier, we would have had to put in lots of hairspray, and to have these big yeah. bouffant, one foot high things on the top of our head like a parrot? Definitely too much maintenance involved, yeah, yeah. so yeah. I don't think, though, you just got sick of it, Adrian. I think you were slightly embarrassed one time when some men mistook you slightly, just from behind, for a member of their opposite sex. Did they? When did this happen? The story, you were going up the high street in our hometown and some lads drove by in a builder's van and they rolled down the window and said, give us a blowjob! The only thing I remember is when we worked in, in Sharing Plough on the construction of the plants out there, the chemical plants. Right. One of my friends, who also had long hair, had worked there before me, but he'd left before I started. Uh, And apparently he'd been named Blowjob (laughs) because he had long hair, I don't know. And they decided, oh, you can be Blowjob too. (laughs) 
<laughs> Very imaginative. But no, I don't recall ever being mistaken. Not there'd be anything wrong with it. I mean, you know, mistakes happen. I have to talk about facts. Fact. I think no. it's been mentioned before in a previous edition of Nostalgia, but it's worth maybe recounting again the story in the, I think it was a disco that you went to with your girlfriend when you still had long hair, probably early 90s. A young man came up to you and asked you to dance. And you said, I don't remember and you said, no, thanks. I'm with my girlfriend. And he said, ah, you're not one of them fucking lesbians, are you? And he walked off in disgust. Don't remember this. You've blocked this out. <laughs> I, you've, I, uh, you've the very next diary, day you so went I, to the hairdressers. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's just it, it's nothing to do with anything like that. I'd remember if that was the, what made me make the decision to cut my hair. <laughs> the catalyst. That was, that's it! Yeah, if, if that was the catalyst, that'd be something that'd stick in your mind. I don't remember that. No, I just thought it was time. Yeah, I think it was 1994 that my locks were shorn too. And I kept them in a bag for a long time. I remember that, yeah. That was 94, was 94. Like, for your decision? Well, as you said, exactly that. The hair got long and straggly and it was halfway down my back. And when you were sleeping on it, your shoulders are reefing into it. And then you tie it up all day and you get the ballerina cuts of little springy mm. hair in the top of your forehead hanging out like a little visor. <laughs> my hair was quite long, I remember, by the time it was 94, 95. And then maybe it was just the fashion was changing. And we were still young enough to kind of be influenced by whatever the trends were. Yeah. And then people were cutting their hair. I think I did a Bon Jovi on it first. I did it these days, John Bon Jovi, half, almost shoulder length. So I went from Chuck Billy of Testament all the way up to John Bon Jovi. Then we went full prodigy. Did you uh, have that in one of your diaries? <laughs> my, my story of the disco? Or I'll have to consult them again. And to yeah. verify this claim, but I do remember that story that you told me that you were out with your girlfriend yeah. and a chap came up and asked you to dance and he was quite drunk, so he mightn't have known yeah, that you were a, a full-blooded masculine yeah, man. I, and you were trying to be polite with him and he said, no thanks, I'm with my girlfriend. You know, pointed to her sitting in the seat and his face suddenly changed and was like, oh, you're not one of them fucking lesbians, are you? Th that may have happened. It, was, it didn't scar me, obviously, because I'd, I'd remember it to this day, but yeah. I put it down to your sloping shoulders. Hmm. Oh, my just general attractiveness. I think I, I would have met a fine woman, to be fair. <laughs> I couldn't blame the man. Magnet you were. <laughs> to both sexes. <laughs> Unreal. Speaking of magnets to both sexes, let's go back to Saxon. I have to talk about facts every single week. It's a fact. It is a fact. Fact. So what was I talking about? Yeah, so we were talking about Kevin Beamish. Beamish, that reminds me of a beer. Do you remember that beer, Beamish, that launched did launch in the 90s? Or else there was, a, there was a big push on it in the 90s. And you, you go into Morgan's and you go into the Woolpack and it was the cheaper beer. And I never tried it. Do you know what? I'm going to try it. You should. Is it, it's still on the market, I imagine. Yeah. Facts. So, a Saxon were made up of a Biff Byford on vocals, Graeme Oliver on guitar, Paul Quinn on guitar, Steve Dawson on bass guitar, and Nigel Glockler on drums. Facts. Michael, this album has a special meaning to you. It was one of the first albums that you uh, listened to, I imagine. Uh, was it one of the albums your brother bought you on cassette tape when he was home on his visits from London, along with Ozzy and mm. Van Halen? I think it might have been one of that trio, yeah, because it was Randy Rhodes, Ozzy Osbourne Tribute. I remember 5150 Van Halen. Maybe, yeah, Saxon Crusader was part of that bundle that he left. This album, while not being one of Saxon's best, in fact, not being a classic album at all, 
But the reason why we're covering it, it's a special little nostalgia place in your heart. Yeah. As, as one of the, the first metal albums you listened to on, on tape. And then by osmosis, me, because that's when we started hanging around together. And you'd be playing this cassette tape in the, in the background. And it would have been one of the first rock albums I heard too. That must have been it. This kind of explains why we both like it, uh, because it was the first rock album we listened to. We'd never really listened to any of the classic rock albums before. We'd never listened to, well, I'd never listened to Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, or ACDC, Back in Black, or Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast. So this was my first kind of introduction to a, to a full metal album. And to be fair, there's quite the variety on this album. <laughs> there is, we'll go through it in detail, definitely. Yeah, how it's in, covered in, in Kerrang! magazine, how it's covered on the Friday Rock Show, the BBC Rock Show, hosted by Tommy Vance. Yeah, yeah. track by track we'll go into it and I can say it now I still like this album it still holds a nice little safe place in my heart that it was one of that first batch of cassettes and I still have it Saxon look at that there she blows and awesome cover by the way isn't it Facts. so the original oil painting for the Saxon Crusader cover was done by Paul Raymond Gregory probably one of the coolest covers that I got because Ozzy was holding Randy Rhodes aloft on stage for the tribute album. 5150 was probably Atlas holding up a metal ball, metal sphere. Mm. But I thought this was this is a great cover. Yeah, Saxon. Yeah, classic cover. And then you listen to the album. <laughs> <laughs> you look at the cover and you see the fucking Crusader and then a killing field full of dead Saracens or whoever they were. This warrior standing astride them. You're saying, this is going to be metal. And that maybe is what disappointed so many, <laughs> that it didn't live up to the cover. What it suggested yeah. was laying within this rampaging, crusading army. The album was like classic British heavy metal, historic, epic, over-the-top stuff. But the actual album was would have been more like Poison or somebody. You should have had Buffon's hair spray, that's, trousers yeah, of men that, on that's, the cover. The songs, and we'll cover it in detail later, of course, the songs in themselves are not that bad. How they're constructed and the melodies and a couple of the ideas are kind of, okay, a bit bang average. But a lot of it is very, very good. And you can imagine now, think of a band like No Sweat, Little Angels, Thunder or Tiger Tales. If they produce this album, the content of this album, it would be lauded. It would be fantastic album, rocketing up the charts. But this was Saxon after they'd been one of the definitive bands of the new wave of British heavy metal from 1979 onwards, releasing two albums a year, being part of the Monsters of Rock, the first festival with Rainbow headlining, and Saxon are on top of the pops. Yeah. Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Saxon. Who are the holy trinity of the new wave of British heavy metal? Would you say Def Leppard? Eh. Yeah, their early albums were really successful. Facts. They signed their first major deal with Career Records in 1979 and had their debut album Saxon. But their first really successful album was 1980's Wheels of Steel. Then they had a successful string of hit albums with 1980's Strong Arm of the Law and 1981's Denim and Leather. The chart positions for these, Wheels of Steel, number 5, Strong Arm of the Law got to number 11, Denim and Leather got to number 9, and The Eagle Has Landed, I think that was the live album, got mm. to number 5. Yeah. So that was the early success, but then they kind of went off the edge of the cliff. The next album was Power and the Glory, and that's got a great title track. And then the final track, I think, is The Eagle Has Landed. A brooding, bass-driven monolith of a song. But in between, it was all a bit rubbish. They just dried up. Yeah, three really good studio albums there. In the space of two years. 
and so, then it drops off a small bit and then the drop off some would say the drop off would continue on Crusader before finally they got dropped by EMI I think Facts Hit me with the facts, facts Adrian were facts. part of the new wave of British heavy metal the band got together combining two separate bands in 1975 and they hailed from Barnsley in England and did you know they were originally called Son of a Bitch you're at son of a bitch. Yeah, fucking tool. Facts. So zip for my facts. <laughs> uh, Saxon's Crusader takes me back to when I lived in a cellar in a very old house where we started listening to all of these cassettes that we were recording from other people's cassettes and staying in this dank, dark cellar. And this album brings me back there. Music is just like a time machine. We used to have discos there, didn't we? In the cellar, <laughs> Adrian. Do you remember? We did. Mm. With those Took disco of, lights. Yeah, disco lights. We created a little disco when we were, what, 13, 14? And mm-hmm. like a metal disco. That's what we wanted. Did we charge in? We probably tried. <laughs> uh, did they come in through the main entrance or did they come in through the back? They came in both entrances. AC and DC. Did we go around the neighbourhood putting up flyers? I don't remember. Just word of mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was just very basic word of mouth. They come down to the cellar, there'll be flashing lights and heavy metal songs. I rigged up a lot of electric bulb sockets that were lying around the house. I probably took them out of live sockets hanging from my mother's bedroom or something. I had a string of them. I had a string of these sockets and lots of wires all connected down into two plugs. And the two plugs I would put into a two socket extension lead and would wiggle them about so they would turn it on and off. Yeah, and you a few sparks, yeah. And, and it was coloured bulbs as well. So you had red and green and blue and you'd flick the plugs and the lights would go on and off and it get the effect of, uh, of disco lights. That's right. The disco lights themselves were stolen from the Christmas tree in our hometown (laughs) over a period of a couple of years. And if they weren't stolen, then we used to buy these really cheap bulbs from the local shop and paint them with my mother's nail varnish. So they stank to high heaven and probably poisoned us. So when when the bulb was on, it started to smoke. Could have exploded as well. I could have killed us altogether. But in the cellar, I think we had asbestos walls and some bad wiring. So one of the walls was actually live. If you leaned against it, you get an electric shock. Massive old boiler in the room. And a little heavy metal disco for teenagers. Sure you couldn't be right after that. Which started with Saxon's Crusader, or rather the prelude. This moody prelude of the battle raging, and everything was dark inside the cellar. The windows were covered by sackcloth, (laughs) and anything that we could stuff into the windows, like foam. And then came the acoustic guitar intro, and the big bang of the first riff. And that's when I jiggled the sockets. And the room came alive with three people <laughs> staring back you, going, what the fuck is this? You'd wonder how you would do a, a disco with like three tapes. <laughs> Just play the same song over and over again. Crying quote. Saxon and Krang, actually, they had at best an on-off affair. Whereas the Friday Rock Show, which we'll talk about later, they faithfully played the band on and on. Kerrang were more sparing with plugging them in their pages, with Saxon the Marmite band of UK metal. From their debut album Saxon in 1979 to being shriveled up with the cold by 1988's Destiny album. 
But in January 1984, Paul Rowland interviews Biff and his battlers in issue 60, saying that the Barnsley Quintet are going considerable lengths to establish a new image. The new LP is amazing, declares Biff. It's our seventh album, so it has to be good, he adds bizarrely. Why does it have to be good that it's a seven album? I hope because the classic band theory that your seventh is your last good one. Everybody connected with the band managers and record company people, family and friends, reckon it's the greatest album we've ever done so far, boasted Biff. It differs a lot of ways, uh, from our previous LPs but it's still mainstream heavy metal music so Biff was a bit like Wurzel Gummidge Saxon bemoaned that none of their albums had done them justice which is strange really when you think about the success they've had in the preceding years did they feel Crusader comes closest to capturing their live quality this album is the best we've ever made it's really powerful with a big live sound it's amazing Paul Rowland gives it the gimlet eye in the reviews page and says that Crusader is crackling with energy Getting in producer Kevin Beamish has proved a wise move as he's given them a clean American sound while still capturing their essentially English approach. Paul doesn't like sailing to America, though. They can record with an American, have an American sound, but just don't sail there. Fly instead. In the very next issue, number 61, Tommy Vance tugs on a Rothman, takes a swig of special brew, and reviews Saxon's Sailing to America single, saying, I like this band because they're great entertainers. I also admire them for not editing out the slow passage on this single. The production sounds strong to me. The predominance of the bass is very refreshing. To April 1984 then and issue 66, here's Dante Benuto again reviewing the next super sexy sizzling Saxon single, Do It All For You. Can I just say, he says, that I find Saxon's new chainmail crusade something of a bad joke, and the current Kevin Beamish-backed LP a poor power-shy relation to the likes of Strong Arm of the Law and Wheels of Steel. Chest clearing aside, this song is good. Heart pumping on sleeve and man-sized tissue in iron mitt. But stand it alongside 747, Wheels of Steel, or the band played on, and it's a seven-stone weakling sadly lacking in inches. Howard Johnson, Hojo, is back on the Saxon touring chariot along the American West Coast in Kerrang! issue 68 in May 1984. So this is the Crusader tour, they're trying to crack the country and they're putting all the effort into it. Biff is still wearing the same spandex since 1975, he says, as he forces Howard to drink some tea. Get one down, you Hojo! Last time we bring you to the States, you fucking Nancy! Howard hated Crusader when he first heard it. The songs just weren't there, he says. But after he bagged this journalistic jaunt sailing to America to join the boys, he now loves the album. Loves it. Can't get enough of it. Loving it. Biff roars back at the critics who think Crusader is weak as shite. Baloney, he says, somewhat bizarrely. That doing it for America criticism is just an easy way to put the band down, he bellows, tugging at his Stetson. We're influenced by America a lot, all right? I'll never deny that, says Biff. But who wouldn't be if they spend a lot of time here? This country revolves around music and it's just one big party, one big laugh. That comes over on maybe 50% of our lyrical content, but 50% of it is British, more serious, more storytelling. At the end, Hojo tries to dig himself out of his hole by saying, As for Crusader, ha! My girlfriend doled out a lamentable haranguing in my direction for condoning an album that I admittedly I hated on first oral assault. Am I copping out? I maintain not. Just that I spend more time living with the songs, giving them an extra chance. Whether you're prepared to put in that extra effort is your affair. But at least let me stoop to suggest that your patience could well be rewarded. As far as I'm concerned, the eagle ain't grounded. Yay, I see what he did there. (laughs) Alright, Hojo, stay on the fucking bus then. So by the end of 1984, though, the juries were in. Issue 84 in December said in its look back at February and Crusader's release, Saxon were also out on the road kicking and swigging to promote their largely disappointing Crusader LP. 
Largely disappointing. Mm. Perhaps they burnt themselves out. Yeah, not an unjustified claim, certainly. It's May 1985 and Howard Johnson says that Saxon have been quiet for too long. They've been undergoing delicate surgery to cut off a malignant cancer for nigh on 12 months. But pray tell, what cancer? Record company cancer, of course. They were dumped. Or according to singer Biff Byford, we terminated the contract. Really? But Crusader was brilliant, wasn't it, Biff? That's what you said. Best the album ever, right? thing, huh? Yeah. Left by mutual consent. Howard opines, a lot of people thought that last year's Crusader was perfunctory poppycock. And I get the feeling that a hand on heart Biff believes it was below par. Biff concedes, yeah, all right then, you're right, Hojo. We're here to make the kind of album that we're good at making, not an album that's done to break certain markets, if you know what I mean. And in the landmark Kerrang! issue 100 in August 1985, the clacker valve was fully opened and Biff finally spits out what he actually does mean right into Howard Johnson Hojo's phlegm-speckled dictaphone. Well, Crusader was probably a wrong move. A lot of people said it wasn't as good as Power and the Glory, and they were right. If they like Saxon to be totally blow your brains out heavy metal, well, Crusader's not metal, but a lot of kids say that Crusader is their favourite album. Hello, little Michael. Agrees. <laughs> we did write the ballad Do It All For You specifically to get airplay in the States. Producer Kevin Beamish was the wrong choice for Crusader, alright? I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. Poor that's, Saxon. That's Kerrang! and Saxon. That's Kerrang! So let's move on to the subject of the podcast, Crusader, track by track. Track by track! Now, all of the tracks are written by Saxon, except for noted. And it begins with the Crusader prelude. So this is just one minute of galloping horses and howling winds and battle horns sounding off in the distance. All culled from BBC sound effects LPs. That's what I wanted to know. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering, did they get this from a movie or... Yes, sound effects. And influenced our early recordings. We probably haven't said that a lot before, but the two voices that you hear... we've mentioned it once or twice. Yeah, the two voices (laughs) that you hear embarrassing themselves on this series do produce audio theatre adventure sound films. How do you describe what we do? Nonsense. (laughs) When we were young, 13 or 14, we started recording audio dramas <laughs> using um, twin deck cassette decks stacked on top of each other. So we could have our voices on the tape deck uh, behind us and then we can speak to those voices and record it on the other tape deck. Yeah. So it sounded like we had multiple voices, but we also expanded out into the world of sound effects uh, for these dramas and one of the first ones we used was a uh, Saxon Crusader. Yeah, alongside with my flushing toilet. <laughs> yes. I'm not the saying squeaky they're... handle. <laughs> Which we still use today if we need a good toilet sound effect for our productions. And we also did our own version of the Friday Rock Show. We did. Take a stab at being a rock DJ. Actually. Crusader was one of the songs we, we played. You were. I'll never forget the this intro coming in and the ridiculousness of us in the background going, Crusader! Crusader! I still have the recording of our very first Friday Rock Show attempt. And Saxon is on that. The first song we played was Shout at the Devil by Motley Crue. I just, you know, build up our rock credentials here. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first song that we chose. Which was pretty cool. And I think track number three is Saxon. And here we are. Better to say, here you are. Be careful. Now <laughs> wear a condom with a soft top on. Next, we have Saxon. Oh, yeah. 
I sure do, Biff. Now we're all saxing down a little bit about your pants. Today I've got another letter, the second of the night. It says, Dear Adrian, I'm going out with this really cool looking guy. The only thing is, he never wants to be seen in public with me. The only thing he wants to do is have it off. And that's it, we don't have the actual uh, Crusader intro, no? No, I don't think whatever recording that was, it survived. <laughs> but at least one of the first songs we played on our version of the Friday Rock Show was from this album. One of the ridiculous things we said over the intro was, Ooh, a bit of a wind getting up. And we used this in many horrors, I think, and it would always be something about when one of the characters said, Hmm, there's a bit of a wind getting up. We knew bloodery was ahead. Something ominous was about to happen. Yes. Uh, one of the reviews I read of, of Crusader said this prelude was not necessary. Well, was damn necessary for us, I tell you. <coughs> now, Absolutely, yeah. We go on to track two, which is the first real track. Uh, and the title track, Crusader. Acoustic guitars build up the atmosphere here before pounding drums take your head off. The acoustic guitars join again to suspend the tension before the drums crash in. And again, this time, it's accompanied by a mid-tempo marching riff to launch this epic track. Who dares battle the Saracens? Booms a deep, scary voice. Who dares battle the (laughs) fucking Saracen? You cunt. 80s metal cringe? Yes. Glorious to my 13-year-old self, and still today, absolutely. Absolutely. Listening to it, that who <laughs> dares? Oh, it's like, oh, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. I dare, I dare. What's this? Can I hear tape trickery here? Was the drum roll sped up before the chorus? Well, there was definitely an added bang on the big beat. Yeah. Just almost destroys your speakers. When I was listening to it on, on the headphones, there was a lot of stuff going on in the background. A lot of studio trickery, I think. I think Kevin Beamish was pulling long nights there, messing with everything. He said, I'll like speed up the drums and go into the chorus. Yeah. 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 You have to. Oh, and it pans across the soundstage. Kind of reminded me of that sped up version of Gloria Estefan's Seal <laughs> <laughs> The chorus is grandiose, with the backing vocals seeming to come from an army of warriors. Come, Crusader, let battle commence. Yes! Images are evoked of our heavy metal heroes on a horseback rushing towards each other, and the clash of steel on steel, leading into an epic solo. The track ends with a booming chest-thumping chorus that makes me want to grab a broomstick handle and rush up into the fields, slashing at my enemies, fighting the good fight. It's a classic song, and it is the best song on the album. Yes. It is the whole reason why people would even nod their head in this album's direction, and it's still a mainstay in their live show. <laughs> Say that again. It's still a mainstay in Saxon's live show to today. They're still going, they're still alive. Not a lot of the original band members, but Biff's still there singing, of course, in his long his long hood. And do you know what? If, if they keep making songs like Crusader, I'd probably still be a, a fan today. Well, this is it. You know, look at a band like Sabaton, who have made it their niche to make military war metal records and talk mm. about the historical Red Baron. Higher and higher! 
and their album called The Great War. So if this album by Saxon, maybe they launched this type of Viking metal, war metal that subsequently influenced Aman Amarth and Sabaton, maybe Saxon could have really cemented this as a classic had they had the theme all the way through the album. But remember, this album was designed to break America. So they needed ballads, they needed melodies, they needed some... Saxon just don't do melodies like Bon Jovi or Poison. They're just not geared for that. They're tea-drinking South Yorkshire men. They're like, E-bye gum, fuck off, what's a melody? If I'm shouting upfield for the sheep to come home, I'm not gonna fucking sing a tune. Just to say that there is nothing wrong with having tea as your sole drink. Anyway, where did they come up with this idea? According to bassist Steve Dawson, in England, there's a paper called the Daily Express. And on the logo, at the top of the paper, there's a crusader. And there was also a car, made by Ford, called a Cortina Crusader. That's what started it off. We just liked the name Crusader. We didn't have any connotations of what it meant as far as the history goes. We just liked the name Crusader. So we just wrote the lyrics to fit the title, really. I think your accent has kind of wafted over the Pennines <laughs> via Liverpool down to the valleys. <laughs> Did you know that bassist Steve Dawson was in fact born in Swansea? The title track to Saxon's sixth album Crusader is about the Christian soldiers who invaded Islamic lands in the 12th century. It's what we used to learn at school, Saxon lead singer Biff Byford says. We used to read about the Crusades back in the day, Richard the Lionheart, and all these figures that were obviously weren't as fantastic as people make out they are. It's a song written from a young boy's point of view, watching the knights and soldiers leave for the crusade basically, and that's what it's about. And he wants to go with the knights and his father or his uncles who are going off to the crusade, and he can't because he's too young. That's the idea behind the song. That's great that Biff had this wonderful imagination to create that because in our imagination, Biff was a Lego knight. So when we were 13, we had in the cellar a big balsa wood board with Lego, a Lego town. What did we have? We had two types of radio stations battling each other and trying to get more listeners. And we had Biff Byford was the local mayor and he was driving around trying to either solve the mystery of the local Lego prostitute. I think there was an election that year in the, in the UK and we were really <laughs> influenced by the Conservatives and Labour. And I, I think we, we had a little political battle. Right, uh, so yeah, that, one... That was, well, yeah, I think he, he was yeah. canvassing for votes. That's it. So we had uh, our Lego Biff Byford. So you see, Biff influenced us hugely. <laughs> Imagine if he knew. He'd be so proud. He might now. <laughs> Who dares battle the Saracens? The Saracens were in fact Muslims who the Crusaders fought. Now Biff claims he wasn't trying to say anything religious. It's not anti-anybody or pro-anybody. It's just a boy watching the Crusaders go off to war, he maintains. Like one of the lyrics on one of the songs in this album, did they kind of charge towards Jerusalem going, yabba dabba do! <laughs> You've stolen me thunder now on the next track. All these crusaders are atop their mighty steeds in denim and leather and droopy swords and they're heading across the plains. <laughs> mm, I can see it now. Turn it off! Turn it down! Make yes, me bleed! Uh, Biff recalls that growing up in Britain, he hears the history of wars and invasions all the time. And I suppose as a boy, when you read about war and the Crusades and the Vikings, it all seems to be good Boy Scout stuff. But I suppose in reality, it was absolutely brutal and bloody. Yes, I imagine it was. And billions of people died. But when you're a boy, and you're listening and reading and watching these films, it's all a bit glorified. It's all a bit marching off to war. 
And a lot of the Crusaders were not actually Christians. They were just mercenaries of any type of background. It didn't matter where they came from. It's just they were paid to go some money fight. to yeah. go in there, kill the lamb. Favorite lyric out of this? We Christians are coming with swords held on high, united by faith and the cause. The Saracen heathen will soon taste our steel. Our standards will rise across the land. Fight the good fight. Believe what Believe is right. Believe what is right. Crusader, the lord of the realm. And then at the end, he just does a little bit of Satchmo. Lord of the realm. Yeah. He was some boy. So, Crusader. moving on to the next track. Track it, Adrian, track it. A little bit of what you fancy. And this is a complete change of direction. My God. Your blood was rising. You were kind of... <laughs> yeah. you donned I was ready to fight, lads. <laughs> you've, you're unsheathed yourself facing <laughs> the enemy. And now you just you shrivel up with the cold back inside you. <laughs> I was standing there unsheathed, ready. Up in the field ready with the broom. Penetrate. This one starts off with Biff's dad shouting at him to turn that music off and turn it down. But Biff, he kind of takes a funny turn and says, Oh, I'm going to blow your brains out. Which, which is Make a, me a boogie. Which is an odd relationship with his father to have, really. <laughs> I think, you know, Jim Morrison was going to murder his father down the hallway. Yeah, Biff the wanted end, a boogie. Yeah, Biff wanted a boogie. I, I don't think he really wanted to blow his brains out with a gun. I just think he, might, he was going to turn that amp up to 11 and blow the head off him. The only reason for this song to appear on this album is because the year previous, Twisted Sister had broke out with Stay Hungry and the main single was We're Not Going to Take It. And it was a protest against the adults that the kids are all right and they want to rock. And that's why this substitute appears on this album. Probably Kevin Beamish, the upturned Lou brush. <laughs> he decided that this would be a really fitting song to include. The kids would love it. They didn't. I thought it was good. Ah, yeah, it's a good song. But again, as I said earlier, if No Sweat did it or Thunder did it, it would be great, but it's Saxon. Oh, no Sweat now. They're the new Cinderella, are they? Yeah. They're the new sad lads. Yeah. Put them on a trailer, bring them down the N11 for a video, and I get all the stupid moves. Yeah. No Sweat. No fucking talent. <laughs> Now, Biff on this says he's the seventh son. So maybe, aye, aye, just yeah. maybe, yeah. this is the prequel to Maiden Seven Son. Maybe he gives up the party life after his village gets destroyed. He certainly hasn't a care in the world on this up-tempo boogie, extolling the virtues of indulgence. I did get a bit of a fright though when he shouted yabba dabba do after the solo, but this is surely the behaviour of all classic rock god vocalists. Do they not all come on stage go yabba dabba do? This is when really... I think they shot themselves right in the crotch. <laughs> this just this is when everybody went, what the fuck am I listening to? Hang on, like, look at the intro, what it's trying to set up, and then how can your second song that should continue the theme be this rubbish? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was rubbish. I mean, I enjoyed it at the time, but it's a bit jarring to have this after Crusader. If Crusader could have been Maiden, this would have been Motley Crue. Yeah, very well analogized. Favourite lyric from a little bit of What You Fancy? I've got my Ford, she's long and black, who needs a fucking Cadillac? We enjoy that. Any type of invective or curse words or bad language on an album, we were just roaring it out. I included that lyric just for you because I, I know you love the swearing. Fucking right. You're determined no one's going to listen to this podcast. Let's fucking go. How many fucks per minute can we get in? <laughs> but does it sound like this album was recorded in a cardboard sound studio? It's a bit thinny, alright, isn't it? It's, it's, it doesn't have any meat. It doesn't have any meat. The guitars no. are so lightweight. The drum has this big boom, 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 and it's really bad. It's as if it's in a reverb room that's full of cardboard. And Kevin Beamish, not a good producer. 
Yeah, I was going to mention this because I heard a cover version of Crusader. Uh, oh, really? A contemporary band. Hmm. It actually sounded better than the original. That's the frustrating thing about this album, is that the previous albums, the guitarists were at the fore, coming up with neat, simple riffs that were panned left and right in the stereo field. And Biff, of course, he holds everything together. He's got a great voice. He's, he honks, he roars, he screeches commands. <laughs> he honks. He's... <laughs> Have you met him? Does he smell? <laughs> He's a bit of a honker. And he sings like he talks, which is very loud. It complemented everything else. It complemented Paul Quinn and Graham Oliver's guitars and Steve Dobby Dobson there thundering along with a great groove of a bass that man had. And it all went to rubbish after this album and it was already dying on its legs by Crusader. Americans loved British heavy metal. They were eager for it in the early 80s. All of their classic bands that came along subsequently, Twisted Sister and Motley Crue, they all loved this. So it's a great quote from Graham Oliver that he said, well, when they had Motley Crue opening for them in 1983, and Motley Crue were so proud, they loved Saxon, and they said they were looking to South Yorkshire for inspiration, and Saxon were looking to California for inspiration. Can you imagine the absurdity? And two years later, in 1985, Saxon were supporting Motley Crue on the Theatre of Pain tour. How things changed. And Crusader is the catalyst of the complete collapse. Because the guitars are nowhere. There's no meat on this bone. And only Biff in the middle, the big knucklehead himself, he keeps it all together. If it wasn't for him, this album, we wouldn't even be talking about it now. Not even our 13-year-old selves would have appreciated it. I was going to say, oh yeah, I reckon Biff smells of milk. Because of all the tea. Milky, yeah, all the yeah, Yorkshire tea yeah, he yeah, consumes. Yeah. Yeah, kind of a, kind of a slightly milky smell. Oh. Yeah. It's sour now. Track by track. Track four, Sailing to America. I love this song. Yes. This returns to the more epic feel of the first track. Uplifting, optimistic and full of tranquil soaring guitars like waves on the ocean. The vocals are airy and breezy and the chorus is layered and full of harmonies. They're sailing to America. Let's set the rigging high. Yeah, as Peter Green's Fleetwood Max Albatross floats above them on this tall long ship full of sails heading and there's Biff at the front dressed up like a mermaid hanging over the bow of the ship taking the waves in his face salt covering him ever and he's going oh, and then he shoots the albatross and it all goes to shit and there's Dobby um, with the big steering wheel he's like what the fuck's going on where are we going Biff we're going to America lads why what are we doing in America Biff we want to be famous yeah, twat! In his memoir, Never Surrender, frontman Biff Byford said this song is about the voyage of the Pilgrim Fathers. The press didn't like it. <laughs> Perhaps because they didn't understand it. We should have called it the Mayflower or something. One of my favourites from this album. It is, yeah. It's a great, well-structured song, beautifully recorded. I will accept that Beamish did a good job on this production, but the talent is there in the guitars, in the melody line, and in Biff singing. It's great. Uh, very evocative of exactly what it's describing. Except without the seagulls going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Track five is Set Me Free. And once again, I was today old when I learned that it was a sweet cover written by Andy Scott. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was a 1974 sweet song. 
It's a driving and up-tempo. Reminds me a bit of Judas Priest. I don't know if you would agree. A decent tune. It closes what would be for old farts side one. And a decent side it was. If you have the inlay card of the cassette of Crusader, mm -hmm. you'll see that this song does not appear on the lyric sheet. You're kind of a bit confused when you see, okay, there's Crusader and they're sailing to America. And then the next page you turn over, just let me rock is coming in. I'm thinking, Did you think they forgot it? Like... <laughs> Because I wouldn't have known that it was written by Andy Scott. <laughs> and he said, no, I'm not going to put it on this tripe. <laughs> you're, just, you're just earphones in, you're listening along, following the lyrics. Uh, where's Set Me Free? Oh, those silly Saxon forgot it. Because what's what's the next song? Hang on a second. Okay, just let me rock. So I'm, I'm waiting for the guys to say, you can take away the money, you can take away the gold, you can tell me it's the truth, you know it isn't so. And it's not. Uh, set me free. And it, it's not bad. The song. Not the fact that it's omitted from the lyric sheet is not bad. It's not bad that oh, the song is not that's bad. That's terrible. It's just a bit ridiculous. You think Andy Scott it? would have given them permission to print his lyrics? So maybe they realised with the font size that they had that they couldn't fit it all in. But this is indicative of Saxon for you. It's a bit ridiculous. And they were the inspiration for the film Spinal Tap. So... <laughs> Ah, that's terrible. And also, not only were Saxon the inspiration for Spinal Tap, they, whether apocryphal or not, go down in the legendary history of antics on the tour bus of having the Soggy Biscuit Contest. The Soggy Biscuit Contest. Tell us more what this Soggy Biscuit Contest is about. Saxon being the prodigious tea drinkers that they were, and when they were on the tour bus, they used to import thousands of tea bags for their European and American tours. Along with those tea bags, you need digestives, biscuits with them. So they had a huge amount of McVitie's digestive biscuits mm -hmm. because they were not into groupies or anything, and it wasn't for them. They were not these marauding, sexed-up teenagers on tour. They were Barnsley men, tried and true. And so what they would do of an evening on the tour bus going to the next gig was they'd all sit around and allegedly they would place a McVitie's digestive biscuit on the table in the middle around them, and all the five lads would take their flutes out and start riffing off strokes to see which one would be they able play to... play tunes on the flutes. They'd play a certain type of tune on each of their own little pink flutes and they'd try to then <laughs> jizz onto the biscuit and then the last one to come had to eat the rest of the jizzy biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> And there you go. That's the most interesting thing you're ever going to hear about Saxon. <laughs> if anybody's listening and can verify this information, or oh, there's any photographs existing or any Polaroids, because... Turn off, turn off the podcast. Yeah, that's all you need to know about Saxon. Because on the Heavy Metal Thunder documentary, Steve Dawson does talk about having Polaroids of Motley Crue's cocks. He does? He does. I've seen it. <laughs> Well, not Motley Crue's cocks. And he <laughs> I've seen the documentary. And he, and he collected them and he was showing the interviewer all the cocks. Anyway, track by track, Adrian, track by track. You put me off. Me biscuits here. So, yes. We, we now have side two. Track it, Adrian, track it. This one kicks off with Just Let Me Rock. With a bluesy riff, this composition begins with a chorus containing a very simple request. Just let me rock. Biff has argued with his dad, and setting the amp to 11 has not quite succeeded in blowing his brains out. So now he resorts to being less aggressive and starts to beg. A rather ballsless tactic, just like this song. 
But unfortunately, Dad still doesn't get it. Which brings us to track seven. No, we don't. Not yet, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> lyrics. The last few lyrics of this song say, You can say I'm really clever, then you laugh behind my back. Prescient. And when you have song titles with the word rock in it as a heavy metal band, you've got to be very sure that the song is pretty good. Right? In fact, it was balls less. Exactly. So if you're going to like Man of War, it, all men play on 10, you've got to really make sure that your song with the word rock or metal or hard rock in it is going to be a pretty good hard rock song that you can sing along to. You can't do it with this one. Just Let Me Rock. It's a terrible request to a father, really. And then the next song, they got the word rock in it again. Yes, track seven, bad boys like to rock and roll. Biff needs to explain to his dad that he's a bad boy. Bad boys like to rock and roll. I've seen this compared to Twisted Sister and Motley Crue. I like the riff in this though. I like this repeating riff. It's a nice spirally riff. It's good. I it gets you into the song. It. Do an impression of it there. Step right up and ring the bell. This girl's cell's going straight to hell. Everybody, straight to hell. They all sing in their little tutus in the background. <laughs> Definitely Saxon, or their producer, are going for the commercial glam rock party scene here. Quiet Riot, Kevin Debro, who was the brother of Terry Debro, who is one of the cosmetic surgeons on Botched, the TV series, which looks at mangled ladies' breasts. Anyway, Kevin DeBro, sadly, he passed away. He was the lead singer of Quiet Riot. Quiet Riot's great album, Metal Health, from 1983. So I think this song is redolent of that. That's what Kevin Beamish wanted to have from Saxon. Because Quiet Riot got their number one US album, Metal Health, from copying Slade, Come On, Feel The Noise. That was a big hit single for them. 70s glam rock. Yeah. So we had the suite covered. Set me free. And now we have just another bad version of bad boys and in brackets like to rock and roll. I don't know what it is about singers and songwriters who need the title of their albums to have a parenthesis. It's like in brackets, shite. Does this annoy you? Is this one of your pet peeves? It is. The humble. It's like that brackets. meatloaf song, isn't it? I would do anything, but I wouldn't do that. In brackets. And what would he not do? Fuck her up the None. ass. This is Moshtalja. Albums that we love, albums that were very important to us when we were growing up. On to track eight, Do It All For You. This is the big one. This is what Kevin Beamish producer, this was his golden moment. Yeah, because this track is credited as Biff Byford, Paul Quinn, Graham Oliver, Steve Dawson and Kevin Beamish. So, oh my God, an angst ridden guitar kicks in. Is it Def Leppard? No! Saxon are doing a ballad. I just Without feels- approval from Dad, there is one more card to play here. Playing the emotional card by telling Mom it's all for her. Gentle, acoustic, fingery guitar begins. <laughs> Leading into Biff earnestly proclaiming he'll climb the tallest mountain and swim the deepest sea for his mum. But did you know that Hartcliffe Hill is a mountain summit in the South Pennines from Liverpool to Nottingham region in the county of Barnsley, England? Hartcliffe Hill is 364 metres high with a prominence of 81 metres. Maybe they meant this mountain. It wouldn't have taken them too long to do that, no. You would have scaled that one pretty quickly and back in time for tea. Back in time for a mug of Yorkshire tea. But no thanks for the digestives, I'll pass. Do It All For You is love song cliche central, with lots of layered vocals and lovely guitars. If you just would read the lyrics without any musical accompaniment, it just sounds ridiculous. When your world is full of sadness and the feeling just goes on and on... I'll be there. 
If you're standing on the ledge and scared of looking down, I'll be there to catch you if you fall. If you're trapped inside your heartache and you can't find escape, come with me and break away. Don't matter what they say. Yeah, look, this song was out any musical intelligence at all. You'd still think it was shy. Bon Jovi did it much, much better with Living in Sin. Rock City. And this one has a credit for Byford, Quinn, Oliver and Dawson. So we've had now three songs, side two, with the word rock in them. Yeah, and none of them rocked. Jesus. Uh, this one is another up-tempo, radio-friendly glam rocker. Saxon have had enough of the situation with Dad and are going to up sticks and move to Rock City where it's sunny and FM radio plays the rock show all day. Clearly he's going to Nottingham. That's where he's going to live in a bed sit, right? Because Rock City is <laughs> Nottingham Rock City. Managed by Paul Mason. He would go on to manage Manchester's Hacienda nightclub actually in the late 80s and usher in the Stone Roses and the Inspiral Carpets and those Much, much better our music. <laughs> yes, so Rock City, not to be confused with Detroit Rock City. No. This one has completely 80s lyrics. DJ VJ radio video. Crank it up, mama. The time is right. Rock City, Rock City. AMFM. It's your choice. Looking for the rock show. Make some noise. Rock City. Play some crazy rock and roll. Compare that to on Denim and Leather when he sings Do You Listen to the Radio every Friday night when he's talking about Tommy Vance's Friday Rock Show in the UK. Now they're just being bland and non-specific about any type of radio in America that plays our songs and gives us some money, please. And we'll say any shite to make sure that we get played. And I'm sure this was never played. I was very cynical of you. (laughs) By the way, going back to Nottingham Rock City, do you know that Iron Maiden were booked to be the first band ever to play at Nottingham Rock City in 1980? But unfortunately, the unfinished electrics resulted in the gig being cancelled. Iron Maiden could have opened up Rock City. And they got electrocuted. Neil Kay, he was down in London in the Sound House, championing Iron Maiden. And you had Nottingham Rock City with Paul Mason, championing Iron Maiden and Saxon and all the lads in the early 80s. Track 10, so we finally come to the end of the album, and this one is called Run For Your Lives. Now, this song starts with the riff to Ulysses 31. I was just going to say, ooh, there's a nice little riff on this one. Completely pilfered. Ulysses 31 was a French production based on a Japanese manga cartoon that just had one pilot episode and the French made it and the riff on it is exactly this. So I think Graham Oliver was sitting down watching Ulysses in the afternoon on the BBC and he's decided he'd write the riff into this song. And have you got the evidence to present to me? Huh? There you go. Yeah. On this one, Biff has had a dream last night that he'd seen me. I wrote that down in my notes, actually. <laughs> I had listen. Li- li- would you believe it? When I was doing my research, uh, my end, I said he had a dream last night and saw you burn. <laughs> <laughs> I seen you burn <laughs> under your secret wars blanket. <laughs> Uh, and then he goes off mad setting fires actually can I can I sorry can I can I just interrupt you there and say that in one of our previous episodes about Pantera you do talk about immolating your curtains oh yeah I'm a fire starter twisted fire starter continue I can't remember how this goes now or 
<laughs> that's something to sing at the football match. I don't know. I like the sing along woe woes. Should be more of them. It ended well, so it had a little yeah. a, an epic feel to the ending of the album. So again, book ended by the track isn't great, but a couple of elements. The riff is quite good, although ripped off. And this ending, this chanting that fades out yeah. to close the album. I do like it. I would say it was a strong track to finish mm. and leave you wanting more. Yeah. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. The Saxon Crusader album. They set the place on fire. Run for your lives. The flames are getting higher. So now we must hear Tommy Vance's take on Saxon. It's the Friday Rock Show. My name is Tommy Vance and welcome to the Friday Rock Show from BBC Radio 1. Tommy Vance, the Friday Rock Show. So where were you in 79 when the dam began to burst? Did you check Saxon out down at the local show? Were you wearing denim, wearing leather? Did you run down to the front? Did you listen to the radio every Friday night? Did you sit there with your tape in the cassette recorder, finger on the pause button right at 10pm? Well, we did, back in the 1980s at least. Saxon and the Friday Rock Show on BBC Radio 1 in the UK really held hands and took pictures through their lengthy association together. Saxon's songs were heard a hundred... <laughs> I do believe there's a bit of interference on the line. Bit of a wind getting up. Bit of- <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, we've had soggy biscuits <laughs> and floppy anuses. So Saxon's songs were heard 119 times over the 15 years of the Friday Rock Show. 119 times! And that's excluding another 62 plays aired by the archaeological Alan Freeman on his Saturday night show. All right. He was like you, he only had the one tape. (laughs) It was out. Canadian hack Martin Popoff named it a work of metal magic that is in the embodiment of the new Wobbum's ideals now made real. All right, Adrian, yes. Something by Saxon from their new album, The Power and the Glory. You heard the title track, Power and the Glory, and the album is absolutely excellent. Tommy was gagging to pump Saxon out again on the British Broadcasting Corporation's rock-starved airwaves on the 22nd of April, 1983, albeit with highly dubious backing music again. Before that, you heard one of the tracks that's on the 12-inch version of the new single by Saxon. On the A-side, it's Power and the Glory. On the B-side, see the light shining on the live version of denim and leather that you heard. Somewhere throughout this year of 1983, I've got to get to see that bag and pipe brigade from up there in the north. Saxon. I really like them. They're a good tasty band. Good tasty band. Tommy Vance likes them tasty and hot as he sat the following night staring over his cotton chips at Daisy Duke leaning over to wipe her dusty headlamps. It was on All-American BBC One evening on Saturday the 23rd of April. The Dukes of Hazard were followed by A Date with Danger set in an American town and rounding off with James Brolin as a steel cowboy. As Tommy fell asleep on his couch with a can of Kestrel in his hand... <laughs> Saxon too were big into breaking America and set sail to record their sixth studio LP. <gasps> Saxon back with a vengeance. The new album is called Crusader. The track you heard was entitled Sailing to America. They're going to be touring soon. Another track from Saxon later on in the program. And before that you heard Saxon, the title track from their new album coming out soon on the Career Record label. It was called Crusader. And of course Saxon start touring at the beginning of February.
1984 was here and Saxon were crusading for American bucks, setting the rigging high. And then came a tour with Motley Crue and knowing whose knob was whose just by looking at the Polaroids. Look, there's Tommy Lee's cock again, Adrian. The short one with the wart on top. The tea-drinking Yorkshire music miners were ripping it to coke and hookers now. In a right state in the States they were. Bad boys. BBC Radio 1, this is Saxon. Before that you hear something from the new Saxon album, it's out on the Career Record label. The album is called Crusader. The track was entitled Bad Boys, Like to Rock and Roll. Saxon start their tour, I think it's the 4th of February. They'll be going around the country with Battle Axe and John Verity. Good bill. No, it's not a good bill. Saxon just about survived America to come back for a British tour in February, and on the 3rd of said month, Tommy was waving his little Union flag, welcoming them back. Cecilia, the gig at Leeds Queen's Hall on the 4th of Feb will not take place. It's been reinstated, will occur, on the 14th of February. Seems that the ads in this week's paper carry the old and the wrong dates. Bit of information there about the Saxon, John Verity and Battleaxe tour. The gig that was scheduled for Leeds Queen's Hall on the 4th of Feb will not now take place on the 4th, but will take place on the 14th. Now you know, and here's Saxon. And before that, something from the album called Crusader. It's the album by Saxon. The track was called Just Let Me Rock. Once again, let me tell you that the gig that was scheduled for Saxon and John Verity and Battleaxe at Leeds Queen's Hall tomorrow night will not now take place tomorrow night. It has been reinstated to the 14th of Feb. Good luck to Saxon on the tour. Always a good band. Give you money's worth. Good bit of rock and roll. It was a sign of the times. Things were going wrong. Bumbling. Mistaken dates. All a bit crumbly. So that was really the end of the Crusader era. And we'll just shuffle a few pieces into the rest of their albums and into the end of the 80s, just to see the decline. Only two more Saxon songs heard themselves on the Friday Rock Show over the next 18 months. Something was up. Was this the end of the affair? Was Dustin Hoffman trying to get the divorce or did he want her back? Or was Meryl Streep going to take the baby? Were Saxon no longer sexy, hear more, see more, Saxon, Saxon? Had the crusade failed? Were they guilty of disappearing up their own exhaust pipes? Could they plead innocence as an excuse? From innocence is no excuse, Saxon, broken heroes. Recorded Saxon the other night at the Hamio in dear old London town. The BBC mobile was there, so was Tony Wilson and the BBC crew. It's all down on 24 track. Actually, the 24 track is being mixed down tonight to stereo. Should be on the air on this program in about five or six weeks' time. Saxon. Saxon. Before that Saxon, their new single, back on the streets again. Not getting enough daytime airplay on any radio station. It's exactly a quarter to eleven. Tommy knew. Everybody knew. Back on the streets, but broken heroes were Saxon back in September 1985. And it was heartening to know that the Friday Rock Show had not fully deserted them yet, with their Hammersmith Odeon concert broadcasted on the 25th of October. I don't know if anybody knows, but there's a mobile outside tonight. And we're going to be recording this for Radio 1, I think. So... <laughs> I think it's for Tommy Bounce, I think. The old bouncer. So! We don't want everybody to think we got a bunch of wimps in here tonight, do we? Okay. I know. We'll do a jingle, and then we'll all get played, right? Okay then, what about this one? You gonna do it? Okay then, what about this one? Rock with Tommy Vance! I'm gonna do it again, here we go. Rock with Tommy Vance! 
Okay. <laughs> Iconic. Well, thought you might like that. That was good. Little trip down memory lane with Saxon Crusader. Three more plays in 1987 was your lot. I'm sure you're happy to hear that. As Saxon beveled away at the spongy end of rock again with her ninth LP, released in March 1988. So Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, Whitesnake and Poison were flooding the airwaves with hairspray rock. And it was indeed a sight to see Biff Byford done up like a tulip in the video of their Christopher Cross cover, Ride Like the Wind single. What are you doing, you bloody daft airpath? I hope it's 10 to 11. And this is the latest single by Saxon, which I'm sure you've already heard. Surely the most commercial thing they've done in ages. Saxon, who've got a new lease of life. Or a short lease of imminent demise in the calm before the storm on the 18th of March, 1988. From their new album, which is called Destiny, you heard Saxon, who are doing nicely with their current single. The track I played for you was called Calm Before the Storm. Twelve and a half minutes out of ten. Depends what doing nicely actually meant. We're living in the car before the storm. Then playing with their flutes again. And that was it. EMI dropped the band due to disappointing sales. The Friday Rock Show oh. 2 had enough. They sold out. And that's the end of the Friday Rock Show. They went for the commercial book. Lars Ulrich on that heavy metal thunder Saxon documentary, he says that yeah, we sort of tuned out when Crusader came along because it was <laughs> it was really light and uninspiring. I thought that was a bit arrogant. He came across as a bit arrogant in, in that part where he says yeah, we kind of tuned out of Saxon because they kind of went downhill, but we got really successful then and we didn't care anymore. Um, that's Lars Ulrich for you. Mm. Saxon became unrelatable kind of to the working class of the early eighties and, and they kind of embraced a different audience, but lost their core fans. They're not sun-kissed Californian boys chasing the trends terrible and again it's the relatability factor I'm a working class uh, young lad from an estate and I look at him and, I, and he looks like me yeah. I can relate to him he, and that dirty rock and he, and he sings about things I know and he sings about drinking girls and, and cool historical things but then they get commercial and less relatable and that's where, we're, that's where Saxon loses it and I think if they kept an identity, if they just did the one style of music, I, I think they would have been really successful. Yeah, ACDC managed to do that. They survived mm. through the 80s. They, they also went through a rough patch, 83 to 85. Those albums, Flick of the Switch, Fly on the Wall, are not yeah. very good. Self-produced disasters, really. But they kept playing the same type of songs, at least. And some of the songs on those albums are quite good. And they didn't change yeah. their style. They didn't put makeup on and bandanas on their head. Good God, that would be crazy. Imagine Brian Johnson with a bandana on his head. For maybe the English and Irish fans of their music from the early 80s, when they were a working class band identifying with their audience, there was nothing that separated them. They looked the same, acted the same, behaved the same. Crusader, I think the reason that was really popular with us is because it was one of the first rock albums we heard. and It was a compilation of different genres of rock. Each song showcased a different style of rock. And maybe that's why we liked it so much. That moment when we listened to it, it was great for us. We, we got to hear several different styles of music. One of the first rock albums we heard. So we, we no um, frame of reference. So we thought, this is brilliant. And we were the right age to be impressed by them. And the album yeah. cover said everything. We knew very little about what proceeded for Saxon in the early 80s, how they were established. So we came at it with fresh ears and we were lucky enough to do that. So we heard it on its merits, not on its legacy. So that was good. Exactly.
And I still think it's a it's, it's a good album. It starts off, first five tracks are good, kind of tails off, and then finishes with a good track. One classic, Crusader, but the ballad stank. And a little bit of What You Fancy. It was a good, fun song. It was, it was basically a pop song and it was easy to get into. And we liked it because it was making us think of what we were like in our houses with our father shouting at us up the stairs. <laughs> we like, fucking kill you! We didn't say we'd blow their brains out with the speakers. We didn't have <laughs> big. Blow your brains out. <laughs> we didn't have any big stereo systems, unfortunately. Because no, Daddy just flicked the switcher, the fuse box. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no your music. father. If we were making noise up in your bedroom, he'd just go down to the fuse box downstairs and take out the fuse, and the whole place went black. Kill it at the source. <laughs> so I'll leave the last word to Steve Dobby Dawson, one of the founding members of Saxon. As we heard, he was kicked out of the band. Post-Innocence is no excuse. This is what he had to say about Crusader. Completely ripped bollocks out of all of it. And it was just so wimpy shite. Because this bloke was just taking piss. I can't stand what you're fucking doing. It's crap. It's wank. And I had a right big bust up with him. Not anybody else in band, just me. It never really got any better from then. It sort of went a bit downhill. And sadly for them, I think they were led down the wrong path by their managers and they didn't have the, the strength of character to stick with what they wanted. But if they had, we wouldn't have had... Who dares battle the Saracen? It's actually funny looking back at them now. You see Graham Oliver. He looks like your, your cute uncle. He's got big chubby cheeks and he still has the hair. And you, get, you can't imagine he was kind of this rock and roll rebel back in the day in tight spandex. Time is a funny thing. Good job we still look as cool as we did then. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. This podcast will not be accompanied by an in-studio video recording. I'm going to grow my hair back. Yeah, do it. Lay it all down the back, Adrian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what Saxon do. Get the mullet back. Yeah. Yeah. Fight the good fight. Yeah, it's time to... Believe what is right. Grow the hair down the back. It's time to unsheathe that broom handle and head up into the fields again. Saxon Crusader. And that's where we leave it. Because I have a bit of a headache. And I possibly need to use the toilet. But you may have guessed that already. <laughs> Good night. Bye now. Put kettle on then. What about some biscuits? Yeah, thank Join you, us again for another podcast. Where we get all nostalgic about an average album. Very soon. <laughs> <laughs>